Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter and joining me as always is Tara. Greetings citizens. Wow. Beautiful. That was beautiful. <laughs> this is a science fiction movie podcast. Every week we get together and we talk about a movie that we've watched and for two reasons we are doing Inception on this episode. Why are we doing Inception? Well, Tenet's allegedly about to finally release uh, Staggered in different places, but allegedly we're about to release the release date for, for Tenet. And also, last month marked the 10th anniversary of Inception, which is crazy to me. I can't believe a movie that I saw in my 20s is now 10 years old, and that means that I'm in my 30s and I hate it, and the world can just end, and I wouldn't care. Okay. But think about all the movies that you got in between those 10 years. Like The Boy? <laughs> <laughs> and Creed. <laughs> okay, sure, okay. <laughs> I, lo I love how the boy is just my go-to for joke for <laughs> everything's bad because the boy came out. All right, so the first thing we're going to do, obviously we'll start spoiler-free. We'll give you warm if we get spoilers, although I imagine many of you have seen Inception. Obviously, this is one of the big, biggest movies, one of the biggest episodes that we're likely to do. It was obviously going to be something that we're going to get to at some point. Uh, is We're just going to reveal our totems because, as, as you know from the movie, they have totems to make sure that they're in the real world and not asleep so just at the end of the podcast we're going to make sure we're not in a dream world right so we'll check mm -hmm. our totems at the end but so just to reveal tara why don't you show off your totem first okay i can show but no one's allowed to touch it is a gorn bread muffin so you can see it's a it's a model of a gorn from star trek but it's also a muffin and i think it's pretty unique to me because I love baked goods, and I love Star Trek, and I love puns. So, this is me. Is it vegan, And if though? I spin it around, I could kind of spin it like a top on its head. Yes, but is it vegan? That's the real question. Uh, I'm pretty sure Gorns are sentient, so no. But they're not from Earth. I would never Earth. eat it. So, <laughs> I'd never eat it. Sorry to dead in the cup, but... <laughs> Alright, my, uh, my totem... Is a wonderful bust of Bela Lugosi's Dracula. <laughs> There's a lot of cracks and and a lot of that's in the design, but it's unique because it's been sitting collecting dust for like 20 years at this point because <laughs> that came with a DVD box set once upon a time. Um, uh, and I have since got rid of the DVDs and switched to the Blu-rays because I'm not a savage. And this is uh, you know, got got little filled cracks, some extra bits of cracks and stuff that only I know where they are. So. This is my tome. So we'll check out our tomes at the end and make sure that we've not lulled ourselves into limbo uh, where we will grow old and miserable. Not again? again? <laughs> not again. Don't reveal too much. <laughs> no. We have to have some secrets, Tara. <laughs> we created the whole world filled with enterprises and... and I don't know. What I didn't know I was so creative. I don't know if copying your favourite TV show is that creative. That's not... That's not jump the gun <laughs> <laughs> all right so inception christopher nolan is this is this the first christopher nolan film we've done yeah i think it is yes i and mean it, i gush about dunkirk all the time i think it definitely is because what i imagine this conversation is going to be given tara's not so hidden opinion on christopher nolan we've not had that conversation on this ep on, on this show so We've definitely not talked about a Nolan film before, so uh, 
Exception. You're not so hidden. <laughs> I'm just saying you're very vocal about Dunkirk being the best one and everything else being overrated. <laughs> I have never said that. I mean, the first part I've definitely said. <laughs> I've never said that everything else is overrated. Okay, okay. Well, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Um, so Inception came out in 2010, obviously, and is about a, a technology in which people can go into someone else's dream. And then go another layer into a dream within a dream. And the film essentially operates as a heist movie where they are trying to plant an idea, aka the inception of an idea, into someone's head. So it very much functions structurally as a heist movie. And that's how it kind of plays out. Obviously, yeah, a big cast in here. I mean, the list is kind of insane, actually. It's Leonardo DiCaprio, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Ellen Page, Tom Hardy, Ken Watanabe, uh, Kelly Murphy's in there. It's a whole... All the usual suspects. Yeah, Michael Caine even. Yeah, you know, it's... Phil, Pete Postlewaite. Yes, yes. He's uh, he's Kelly Murphy's dad. The dying dad. That's always exciting. Oh. Don't see the resemblance, but that's okay. He's hunting. He's not hunting any uh, T-Rexes in this, though, so... Uh, no. He's the best. <laughs> well, he may be the best there, but Lost World Jurassic Park. I guess this probably was one of his last films, huh? Oh, did he pass away? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He did. After Inception, he did The Town and Killing Bono in two, 2011. And then that, that was it. Oh, that's a shame. So, yeah, obviously we'll start spoiler freeze. We always do. We'll give you a warning before we go into spoilers. And we'll dive into it. Obviously, not all of Nolan's films will end up on this show because they're not all science fiction, but Interstellar is obviously one that will appear. And I would argue The Prestige is actually science fiction uh, more than anything else. So, Ooh, a couple of magicians fighting it out. Yeah, it's all, it's all technology that they're using. So it is like... pretty science fiction that magicians can be cool. Whoa, whoa, hot takes <laughs> coming from Tara. I don't think that's a hot take about magicians. <laughs> okay, harsh truths. <laughs> harsh truths. All right. Uh-huh. So, yes, that's the, that's the premise. I mean, the other big thing, of course, is that Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Cobb, he, is, he takes this job, which is very risky and very difficult because he is currently wanted for murder in the US and the big businessman, uh, played by Kim Atanabe, say, oh, he promises that with one phone call, he can make his charges go away and he'll be allowed to return to the country. And that is why he takes the job. So that's kind of your your, your heart of the, the movie, plus the backstory with his, with his uh, dead wife. Uh, so, you know, uh, we'll get into all that. Uh, but the first thing first, and uh, actually, when was the last time you watched this, Tara? Before I ask the question, like, has it been a while? I watched this in theaters in 2010, and I don't think I've watched it until yesterday. Well, there you go. That's it. I obviously saw it in theaters, I think three times, uh, and I probably saw it a couple of times at home, but it has been a while. I realized that as I started watching this earlier today, is that I think it's probably been at least five years since I watched this. So it's been a bit of time. It's definitely been the longest I've ever went without watching it. Yeah, I'll I'll say that the, even though it's, I don't think I've seen it since the theater, like, nothing seemed new to me like i think i remember it pretty well kind of like my experience rewatching truman show like just all the scenes felt very familiar and that i had seen them like i don't know like i, I didn't forget anything in the film basically maybe some details but for the I, most part the scenes like yep this is what happens next like i just remembered it really well and i think that that counts for something because there's a lot of <laughs> movies that you can't say that for like you'll go back and watch no them there again are movies like... that i have a hard time recollecting what happened 
From a week ago. Like when we watched them like, <laughs> during our reviews. <laughs> we watched this a day ago and yet somehow there's all scenes missing from our minds. Yeah. Yeah. That does happen. You're right. It does. Uh, so then, okay, so how did you feel watching Inception then in 2020? <laughs> Should I reveal my my feelings about Christopher Nolan films first? Hold on. Hold on let me hide. Okay. Now, now, there we go. Okay, I don't think he's, like, God's gift to movie directors like the internet thinks he is. How dare you! (laughs) I think he's got, like, some some tropes and formulas that he relies on a lot. Like, I think, but I do really appreciate original science fiction movies. There's not a whole lot of people who are doing that, and Christopher Nolan is sticking to it, so. And even less who get to do it with this sort of budget as well. That's true. That's true. Um, but yes, I think Inception is a good movie. Very, very particular there with your choice of art. <laughs> yes, I think it's a good movie. Okay, alright, okay. Uh, that's, that's fair, that's fair. Um, I mean, I love the movie. I mean, if, if the fact that I saw it three times in the theatre wasn't a hint that <laughs> I was a little into it, that that I, it was something that ranks high for me, that I don't <laughs> know what would... And it's just funny, because I, I had been a while since I'd seen it, and sitting down to watch it again. It's one of these weird things where I know how much I love it, but I've not watched it in a while. So it's almost like I forget the actual feeling of it, though. So when it started, and I'm, I'm watching the movie and the opening shots of you know him washing up on the beach and mm-hmm. Hans Zimmer's wow. immaculate score, right? <laughs> Wonderful soundtrack, this film. It's pretty good. I mean, it's no Humphrey... Not Humphrey... Crimson Tide, excuse me. I almost got my submarine movies mixed up. We'll have we'll have to just. I mean, I like the score in that movie, but we'll have to just agree to disagree here because I, I think Inception might be his finest work. Uh, it, there's competition. It, it's got a few things that sort of rank up there for me, but the Thin Red Line. Thin Red Line, yes. Uh, that score makes that whole movie. I, I, I'll, I'll say it right now. But right away, I was just sort of drawn into the world again, and it was kind of thing because the movie's two and a half hours, right? And sometimes you sit down for a movie that's over like a hundred minutes, and you're like. Oh, need to schedule out half a day for that bad boy and really be in the mood for it. And it's one of those things where I sat down and five minutes into it, I'm like, oh no, I, I should not have been concerned because I'm. I, it's like sliding through butter watching a movie that you like this much. It really is. It's like sliding through warm butter. Gross. <laughs> Which is to say smooth and no resistance. <laughs> so. Gross. I'm sorry, is there a better substance that you'd prefer for the analogy? No. Okay. <laughs> I definitely want to move on. All right. Okay. I don't know, maybe oil or something. I don't know. Anyway. Nope. Um, so, yes. Uh, obviously, we'll talk about all the, the non-plot stuff to, to begin with. Uh, performances, direction, all that good stuff that we usually kick off with. Um, yeah. How, how do you feel about uh, direction? Because I think with Nolan specifically, one of the, the bigger critiques of his work prior to this in particular was his action scenes where you know he made you know a couple of great batman movies but the maybe the weakest element of those movies was the the actual fighting per se um now admittedly this is more gunplay than it is you know hand-to-hand combat but uh i mean the action scenes are, are work really well for me i mean they have that there's you know the really notable one in the middle where gravity doesn't seem to be an issue anymore um that's very cool and I think the the tension works really well, and it's accompanied by Hans Zimmer for that. And uh, yeah, the action's good. I don't really know about that complaint. 
I mean, what movies other than I, I didn't have a problem with the action in the Batman movies either. So if you if you go back and watch Batman Begins, this is particularly there's definitely some scenes where it's the kind of it was a lot of quick cuts and it's not it's kind of jumbled and it's not like the, that flowy. Oh, okay. I mean, there's a little bit of that here, but for the most part, the action scenes that you remember are the big, you know, hallway scene, maybe the the stuff at the fortress. Um, yeah, I think, and those are pretty much like we're just staying on the character while the environment moves around him. So, as as far as the cool. direction goes for me, and that, that's, this goes hand in hand with the editing here, is that this movie essentially gets very complex in terms of that we're dealing with layers and layers of like situations with characters in each layer and all that. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I mean, maybe it's hard to kind of like say what was going on after the fact. We're just trying to remember it. But as you're watching it, I don't think there's a single second where there's a confusing element where you, you don't understand why one's affecting the other end like that. Everything flows beautifully. Oh, you mean like why the environments are changing? Well, everything. I, I don't think there's anything confusing about it. like the, the entire house. Well, I scene... would have I have a hard disagree about whether or not things are confusing. <laughs> uh, well, we'll get into that. <laughs> Spoilers. Yes. <laughs> then. Uh, but I, no, I, I genuinely think everything flows really well and like there's no point where i'm taking out the movie because i'm sitting going oh how, how does this work or well how does that work everything like and it's one of those things where there is a lot of details there's a lot of rules and I, repeat mm-hmm. viewings definitely enhance this because most of the details and answers you want are in there so yeah the characters are literally explaining it to you the entirety of the movie like even the last <laughs> scenes we still get exposition like there's no escaping the rules they're always being brought up <laughs> There's a lot of rules. That's that's just true. And probably the biggest critique I've ever heard of this movie is that there is just scenes and scenes of exposition. I'm pretty sure that's the only reason we have the characters Arthur and Ariadne. Ariadne? Ariadne? Ellen Page. Ellen Page. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, I mean, Arthur will agree. I think, I think, Ariadne, Ellie Page. I think Ellie Page is kind of essential because she's kind of the, the eyes through which the audience learn everything, which I suppose maybe proves your point that she's there for the exposition sake, but she's also the, the one who kind of like gets out the emotional side of things from Cobb as well. So she has I, a- Yeah, I don't really... Uh, I, I felt a little bit distant from her character in those scenes, though. Like, when she's, when she's interrogating Cobb mm-hmm. about why, like, he has, like about him being like uh unstable and like his his subconscious is messed up and stuff like that like i don't understand her reactions all the time i think they're a little bit overblown and maybe it's supposed to be something that i connected with a bit better than was in i don't know than was actually on the screen (laughs) but like there there are moments where she like storms out and like why is she so upset like she was in someone's subconscious i don't understand it wasn't that bad like there was nothing messed up going on down there <laughs> anyway <laughs> i mean I'll, I'll save that for spoilers because i don't want to talk about why she's upset i do think she has a legit yeah. reason in that scene to be upset though but uh yeah, there are two there are two scenes where she's like you have got to do this and i go why like the movie has not made it clear as to why Okay, <laughs> we, we, this, this I'll take spoiler talk. I, 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 I don't think I can address any of this right now, but mm-hmm. um, I do think it does a good job explaining things. And I want to make it clear: there's absolutely nothing wrong with a character being here 
like having a character who's supposed to be a conduit for the audience to learn information is absolutely mm-hmm. fine. There's nothing wrong with that. No, I agree. Uh, so that that's that's a perfectly fine thing, and I, I think you know it does it does have a an interesting cast of characters, and obviously having a really good cast does help them all stick out as being memorable, but. You know, I think they would really set up a good idea of what each person's job is supposed to be and why they're there and what they're doing. Yeah, when we get the, the like heist movie introduction of all the characters. How do you feel about Ken Watanabe and his accent? What do you mean, how do I feel about it? Well, I know, okay, so I know you watch movies with subtitles on. I don't usually do it. Um, I, I don't usually watch movies with subtitles on. Well, you tell me that you turn them on all the time. Oh, I watch when I'm watching a movie on stream with the audience, but chat because I'm talking over it. I put subtitles on. Well, we've had this discussion before, and you said that you almost always have them on. Whatever. Anyway, I, I've actually never said that, but. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you incepted it into my brain. <laughs> I have that memory. <laughs> I no, I I, I often don't uh, usually. Okay. Well, I almost never put subtitles on unless I'm forced to. And in this movie, I am forced to because of Ken Watanabe. I mean, uh, to, to just, I guess, make the point here that I guess you're making is that I didn't have subtitles on watching this and didn't have an issue with really? Watanabe's voice. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I love Ken Watanabe. Let them fight. But yes. I really had a hard time understanding him in the beginning when he's, and he's explaining like important things for the film. Maybe because of like, what are you saying? Stop mumbling and whisper bumble. I hate it. <laughs> Maybe it's because I've seen it a bunch of times, but I, I never had a problem with his dialogue. Yeah, I definitely had to turn on the uh, subtitles for it. But I certainly but... don't remember having a problem with it in the theater the first time I saw it either. I mean, that was a long time ago, so I don't remember if I had a problem or not. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's worth mentioning when I was watching the uh, the Blu-ray, which has the the lossless audio, so I don't know if that movie makes a difference here. I watched it on Amazon Prime. Okay. <laughs> okay. If that makes a difference. I mean, I, may, I don't know. Like, I, maybe I was just watching it very loudly, which is, I mean, I've been known to crank the volume a little bit uh, until, you know, the walls start shaking because the subwoofer's going absolutely nuts. Um, so... And this and this movie does by the like everything yeah. was brum. I was I watched it on my computer and I had the volume in my hand at all times, yeah. dialing up and down because <laughs> I don't want to disturb my roommate. And this movie has a lot of loud music and yeah, a lot does. of whisper mumbling from Ken Watanabe. So I, had, <laughs> I had to go up and down a lot. No, I have to, I have to admit, I never had a problem with uh, Watanabe's uh, accent. Um, and to be fair, it's his accent. It's not like he's putting on some. No, no, I know. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of quick dialogue. I, 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 yeah, I do think the first time I saw it, there was definitely some details that I didn't get, and, and I think that's not necessarily that bad, in the sense that I think all the main things you need to know for the movie to work, you always get on that first viewing with this. But there's a lot of intricate little details that maybe if you think about, it, you mean, oh, is there, is there a plot holder because of that? But when you watch it again and you sort of you pick up on these little interactions that maybe you didn't mm-hmm. catch the first time, you're like, oh wait, no, they 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 put a lot of thought into this. They 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 really uh, went through this. And some may argue that some of these little things they did explain didn't need to be explained. Maybe maybe they could have just rolled without it. And I think I would fine. have appreciated a little less explanation of what's going on. And because I was, I mean, like I said, there 
always telling you exactly like what they're doing and what they're going to do and what they've done. And still like after two and a half hours of explanation, I'm like, wait, so who's doing the stream now? And like, I had to look up a chart <laughs> to keep track of who was dreaming and uh, how they got into two different other levels of dreams and <laughs> and what the limbo is and uh how they get out and when the rules oh, apply okay. hold for on, falling hold. and when they don't apply <laughs> hold on a like second hold on we're spoiler free hold on <laughs> hey, i'm not spoiling anything i thought you are going a bit deep there with the the layers and then limbo and whatnot <laughs> i don't think that's a spoiler okay all right i just i don't know Verging on specifics there, as I was saying. Verging. Look, I like the movie, okay? You don't have to get <laughs> defensive already. I'm not getting defensive. I, um, well, this is the thing. Like, you, you sent me this chart before we started, and I was like, and I honestly, in my head, went, what is the chart? What's the chart for? This isn't Primer. <laughs> and, and I looked at it, and I went, oh, okay, and I guess for me when I'm watching it, I never really cared that much who's dreaming in each layer. Uh, which is something we'll, we'll get to properly when we talk about the plot. Um, and it's, it's kind of obvious by the time they're waking up because you, you the person who's like, well, again, we're, we're, we can't talk about this. <laughs> so Okay, well, sure. I, I do have one inherent like thing that bugs me when mm -hmm. I watched it. That, um, all right, so... So the, the movie is about dreams within dreams, mm -hmm. which is something you've brought up already, so it's not a spoiler. But if you're in a dream and you have a dream within that dream mm -hmm. and you wake up from that dream, shouldn't you just wake up from one dream, like from the overall dream every time you wake up? Because it's all one dream. <laughs> you know, like if I go to sleep and I fall asleep in my oh, dream. Okay. So, so what you're then something wakes me up. Oh, what you're I just wake up. What you're complaining? I don't wake up into another le level of dreaming. Yeah. What you're complaining about here is that if they're on level two, say they're a dream within a dream. If they if they mm -hmm. wake themselves up from the that second layer, they wake up yeah. in the first dream before, rather than real life. Yeah. Um, well, my critique of this, or my, not my critique, but my your, my rebuttal, rebuttal. Yes. Of this <laughs> is that. They're never woken up in the real world, though. They're woken up in that layer, that, that first layer where they're dreaming. Yeah. But it still doesn't really, like... That still requires, like, suspension of disbelief. The whole premise requires suspension of disbelief. Well, yeah. But, like, okay, so I know there are rules here, but, like, if someone dies in a dream that's in a dream, they could... Why wouldn't they just wake up from the overall dream? That, this is a weird complaint to me, because the movie just... It sets up its rule and it sticks to it. Uh, well, you're what, what essentially you're arguing is like, what, why did they make this choice? Because you just don't agree with it. I, I don't. I don't think this is a, a real. Yeah, I mean that's a okay. So maybe <laughs> maybe the movie works within its rules that they've established, yeah. which is okay. I'll, I'll I'll get in. I can get into that. But it does still like stick in the back of my mind. Like, well, if you just wake up from a dream, you would just wake up into reality. You wouldn't wake up into another level of a dream. And how do they bring machines into the dream anyway? <laughs> That's also dumb. They but whatever. They don't bring them into the dream. They they manifest them in the dream. That's that's the whole point of some of their abilities is that they, they've learned yeah. to like create things in the dream. And people just get sedated in the dream. Yeah. Okay. 
See, that's okay. the, the problem with this is you're just you're basically just complaining about the whole premise at this point. That's what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's right. If you if you think the premise is dumb, then the, you think the premise is dumb. But uh, I think parts of it are. But you know, it's it's still a fun action summer ride. That is maybe a, a skosh too long. But. I mean, the science fiction of it to me is you you. I mean, I'll buy anything they want me to buy realistically, right? If they want mm-hmm. me to buy whatever, as long as they set up rules and then stick to those rules. Um, I, I am more than happy with that. And the way the movie functions is that each layer of dreams, because they're more conscious than you actually are when you're in a dream, because they're essentially awake in a dream, is that mm-hmm. each layer exists as a world. So if you're woken up on layer one whilst you're in a dream in layer two, you just wake back up into layer one. And then you have to be yeah. woken up in the real world to go back out of the real world. Um, you know, it's just... I mean, yeah, if you, if you don't think that, that makes sense, then there's nothing the movie's going to do to convince you otherwise, because it's, it's all made-up science. There's nothing factual what? about any of this. <laughs> this is the same as arguing, uh, like, like it's someone watching like, Back to the Future and going, well, time travel's dumb, it couldn't work. Like, well, yeah, obviously, time travel, but just... I don't think that's... I don't think it's the same. It's the premise of the movie. <laughs> I, think, I think there are some premises that are a bit better than others that work a bit better than others. Oh, I mean, no, time travel is not anything I experienced unless you count going forward in time, because I do that right now. I'm doing that right now. Sure. But like, <laughs> but the movie does incorporate a lot of But dreaming, actual... like, that's something we all do. Yes, but the movie does co- incorporate a lot of dream uh, stuff. You know, there's a lot of ideas that we sort of think of as dreamlike that are incorporated mm-hmm. into it. You start um, in medias res. I mean, that? like, you start in the middle of a thing and not, yes. like... Oh, yeah, that's yeah. one of them, yeah um yeah i i mean th- this is this is sort of the, the nitty gritty side of things where like i i love debating the rules that they've set up and if they break those rules or how those rules function the more intricate they get especially if they've done a good job of like sticking to them and if they've done a good job of weaving everything together um the actual like nitty gritty here of like <laughs> saying how does this work from scratch is like i mean they've got a magic briefcase that does it I, like it's, it's fine. <laughs> what you want from me? <laughs> Nothing. I don't. I don't demand anything of you from this review. Other than to listen to me go. Yeah, it's good. I, <laughs> I, I yeah, I, I have uh, no issues with that. There was definitely. I mean, the first time I saw it, I definitely had some questions about some of the deeper dream stuff, which I think I've understood better the more I've seen it. Because uh, it feels like there's so much going on. If, if anything. Not that I'm suggesting it should be longer because it's already a really long movie, but if anything, there's some points that they make so quickly that they really could mm-hmm. have maybe emphasized it a bit more just so that it was really clear. But there's so much information to take in that I think they did a reasonable job of like giving us enough to follow the story and follow the emotional stuff in the movie. And then, yeah, on repeat viewings, you get to like really pay attention to these little details and sort of go, oh, hey, okay, that explains that little thing or that does that little thing. And, mm-hmm. Um all of it kind of clicks together the more you you watch it and uh that, that's that's great when that happens this is you know cause a lot of movies do the opposite where the more you watch it the more you start to see the cracks and start to you know peel it all away um and the emotional stuff for me as well is something that especially on this viewing i was watching and you know all the stuff about his backstory and why he's, he was having this trauma that was infecting the dreams that we'll get into uh mm-hmm. all that was playing for me the probably the best it's ever done on this viewing i, I don't know if that's just because I... I enjoyed that too. Uh, I enjoyed all the the backstory with the wife and all that, but uh, I don't love Ellen Page's like 
revelations of it. You know, like she's the one who, like, I understand she's the one who's got the fresh eyes and she's our eyes as the audience. But I don't know. I just don't like, I don't understand her reactions to everything that's going on. Like it doesn't, it doesn't really click with me. And you think, you think she's more of a plot device than a character as we said. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, don't, I even... don't know. I don't know if it's necessary. Like I, like I know she, her job is necessary and they probably want to just give her more things to do. But I don't think like, why can't we just go into his dream? I don't and even see what's going on? know if I disagree with you per se. I think it's a fair critique to say that she is very much a plot device. I don't know if I agree that it's unneeded though. Um, I feel like there's so much we learn through her inquisitive nature in a couple of key sort of sections of the movie that I'm not so sure that a lot of the ideas... I, I feel like the movie would play out something closer to a David Lynch movie where we'd have to really think about it. And, well, I might still love that because I love yeah, David Lynch. Yeah, I think I would like that more too. <laughs> I, honestly, like I, I think the the exposition in the film is so heavy and nonstop that I kind of would have liked if we just... We're given the chance to figure things out on our own. Maybe simplify it a bit more. We don't need all the rules. If we just see the rules happening, we can see that they don't break them, rather than them telling us all the time. Yeah, I, I, maybe this is the thing. Even Christopher Nolan, at this level, where he's given this sort of budget, where he's treated with the the carte blanche, maybe even he has to adhere to the idea. This still has to be a, an action movie for the summer audience to sell tickets, and he has to. And that maybe that's why it is. It, it has a lot of Matrix vibes. You can tell there's a lot of inspiration from that and that's fine i mean i i love the matrix also mm-hmm. and well the the first one yeah <laughs> we'll get to those and i i enjoyed i enjoyed the action scenes in this movie too so oh the action is great in this and i the emotion works for me i think the, the heist the fun nature of it there is actually probably uh at least up until this point there's a bit more comedy in this film i think than he had uh, up until now at least well that's not true there was a lot of one-liners in, in batman begins and a few in the dark knight as well I feel like the comedy in this works a lot better. There's a lot of little beats with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Tom Hardy, for example, that I thought actually played really well. Like, I still tickled jo- at them. Lev has a one-liner in this movie that I so wish he delivered in an Arnold Schwarzenegger accent. Would <laughs> <laughs> have been so much cooler. Um, so there's, there's some nice humor in there. I, I You know, I... it's what This is one of these movies where I, I, I genuinely left the theater feeling just kind of like... Like I'd fallen in love with cinema again, and I know that's like a really sort of big, bold, <laughs> pretentious thing to say, but like, it's okay. I, you and all the other boys but, on the internet who love Christopher <laughs> Nolan. But I see so much crap. There's so many movies that come out, and so much of it is bad. And I do, I do that a lot to that to myself because I do a horror movie podcast with Tim, and we watch a and lot. Most of shit horror on movies that. are terrible. Yes, but there's a lot of movies that I see and they're all right. Like they're, they're fine and they're good, mm-hmm. but I don't love them. I'm not completely in love with them, and. It's really special to me. Every you know, every few years there'll be that one that just sings to me in a level where I'm like, "That's a new favorite." And you know, it shouldn't be that often because if it's that often, then your standards are too low and uh, nothing means anything. <laughs> so I mean, it's something special to me when I go see a movie and I come out of it feeling as enthusiastic about movies again. And this did that. And mm-hmm. I know saying this right now is probably not popular because a lot of people think no one's been really pretentious about what trying to save cinema by releasing tonight. <laughs> and I get it, I get it. It comes off a bit pompous at times. I'm not going to defend that. Most of my favorite directors have problems. James Cameron is a dickhead on set from everything I've ever heard. But <laughs> you know, aliens yeah. are still aliens, so and Terminator is still Terminator. Um So, you know. Um, I agree. But hey, uh, no, I, I so I love it. And Hopefully, as we go through it, uh, um, I won't get too upset when Tara 
mix uh, critiques. I've I, I've said my piece. <laughs> no, no, you should you should feel more than comfortable. Um, and if I've already gotten to, uh, shop women, <laughs> then I apologize. It... I know. I mean, I know most people are going to be on your side, and I do think <laughs> that he's you know a very talented director. I think a lot of his movies have that color palette that is instantly recognizable as Nolan. It's very like brown and gray and blue. <laughs> it's actually it's one of those I, I do think his films don't look desaturated though. They, they still look like proper colorful film, just not with colors in them, if that makes sense. No. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. It doesn't look Zack Snyder is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> no, no. Uh they're still very clear. They just have a very clean, depressing look to them. But they're but it's good. It's a good look. It's 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 not there's a color palette, but it's not like it's been color coded to look a certain way. It still looks very natural. Sure. You know, because um, uh, I, I hate when they, they do that you know, sort of blue, desaturated tint to movies. Because Zack Snyder's the opposite, where he somehow has technically a lot of things in the frame that are supposed to be colorful, and yet somehow has sucked all of the color out of it, and it just looks blah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I don't want to get into a Zack Snyder rant on <laughs> a Christopher Nolan movie review. This is asking for too much from the internet. Right I know, now. I know, I know. The internet's <laughs> going to go nuts. Um, I'll just say the biggest mistake Christopher Nolan has ever made is having a hand in hiring Zack Snyder for Man of Steel. All right, we'll move on from Zack Snyder. <laughs> he also has Anne Hathaway a lot, which is always a mistake. I mean, I don't necessarily share your Hatha hate, so. It's uh, real. It's a real thing. <laughs> Uh, all right I, I think we're probably ready to start working through the movie then and uh, talk about all the beats and characters and all that stuff um so of course though uh, we will take this time beforehand to thank our patreon producers for the month so thank you to allison m fordice tyler hess cindy palisius david short board now zammer jammer al tribesman christopher moy and brett williams that is our Patreon producers for the month of August. That means they are $20 or above on patreon.com slash TV. But of course, you can support us for much less than that. Can't Natara? Why, yes. If you enjoy the content and want to support the show, please check out our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash TV. And if you donate as those $1 per month, you will get access to our Ace reviews one week early. And you will get access to other shows that we do and not do early, so... Please check that out, and if you donate as little as $5 per month, you will get to vote on what we watch once per month. Oh, I screwed it up, huh? Uh, no, you put the early thing in the wrong tier and I said did. it was a week instead of a day. <laughs> <laughs> and still you ask me to do this every time. Did, did you mention the extra episode as well? I wasn't, I, I don't know no, did. I didn't. Oh, I knew there was something I was missing. I feel that's oh, the biggest selling get, point. Yeah. So $1 <laughs> per month will get you the bonus episode of whatever we review, which is usually a B-movie, maybe something Mystery Science Theater adjacent. Um, so please check that out. Thank you. Yes. And actually read the page of what is on the tier levels for donating because I can't seem to memorize them. Because <laughs> Tara may have just missold the entire thing. <laughs> I would get a lot of angry comments. I, I I thought I was getting this for my dollar. Like, nope. Sorry, nope. Tara messed up. <laughs> um, yes. Okay. Thank you. Th thank you for that wonderful uh, 
Patreon plug. <laughs> yep, I'm the best. Hey, you say Still that. Still, you invite me back every week. Hey, it's part of the charm of the show at this point to hear how you'll somehow sh- screw up the same thing every week in a different way. <laughs> it's just qu- quite spectacular. It really is quite an achievement. You know, I always hoped I'd be good at something. Mm. One Here day. It is. <laughs> I'm good at messing up the Patreon plug. Oh, everyone say in the comments how good Tara is at this, okay? <laughs> but I literally screwed it up. So bad. Like, like I'm not going to lie and say they're not all petty comments, but you know what? Take what you can get, all right? <laughs> petty I don't comments. want it. <laughs> all right, uh, so... Full spoilers then for Inception. Uh, from this point on, you have been warned. All right, so I've got a note here of every shot in the movie. We're going to work through. I'm kidding. Oh my I'm kidding. god! I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's going to take so long. All right. No, no. I think there's kind of clumps of it you can kind of bundle together and just sort of talk about on their sort of the sections. Uh, there's a lot of teas at the start though of kind of something that comes later. Does the you know cob washing up on the beach and be taken to old man Seo, and I then yes. And they're sort of talking to each other, like sort of just saying things that they're clearly recognizing each other about, uh, you know, waking up and finding each other and remembering something. Uh, and it comes back to when they met in the opening dream, because like any movie with a high concept like this, you kind of have to have that big section at the start that gives you the example. And here we have them in a dream with Sato, where it appears that they're trying to steal something from Sato. They've been hired by some oil company to steal something secretive from them. And... We get a lot of the rules. We we introduce the idea of Mal, uh, Cobb's dead wife, infecting the dream. We don't know if she's dead yet at this point, obviously. But it's okay. We're in spoilers. Yes, yes. Um, but I'm just. It, it, you know what? I, I feel like we can't necessarily actually explain all the rules because we'd be sitting here forever actually explaining how everything. I wrote works. them down. Um, but yes, I, I think maybe the best thing to do here is to take the first like hour, which is the assembling the team, getting the job, and all that. Talk about that in a sort of general basis and introduction of the characters and how they explain some of the things and then get into the heist. I think for the most part that's how it works. Obviously the openings to do the twist of a dream within a dream and uh, kind of that stuff. Introduces the tone. What a kick is. Yeah. What a kick is, yeah. Uh, which it doesn't sound like they necessarily always need, obviously in the heist later on. They okay, do so I wrote it down because it's a rule. Mm-hmm. Yes. So when you're sedated, a kick is required to wake you up. When you're not sedated... Death is required to wake you up. I assume a kick would still work, though. If you're not sedated. I guess so, yeah. But yeah. if you're sedated, then <clears throat> then you need a kick. Which they need to be to go deeper than uh, at least one layer. I guess so. Or two layers. Because, yeah, the, the, the dream at the start... I just assume they just have... They do sedate, sedation for safety reasons. Well, no, because later on, when they're talking to Yusuf, who's like the chemist, who they get for the team... Uh, basically, mm-hmm. when they say they want to go three layers deep, it's like, oh, you're going to have to be heavily sedated for that. Like, you know, like to go that deep, you have to be. Uh, it's just the way it works. Mm-hmm. Um, so, because yeah, in this opening, uh, Malik threatens, and you know, I'll, I'll give you. There's a clunky line here where where uh, DiCaprio's like, you know, that I'll just wake him up, Mal. That's not much of a threat. And she's like, yes, but pain is very real. It's in the mm-hmm. mind. And she shoots him in the leg. And that's quite. You know, it feels violent. It feels harsh. Like I, I felt the. The, the you know the agony of him when she did it, and then he like jumps up on the table and shoots him in the head to sort of relieve him from his pain, uh, and he wakes up in the, the the first dream, the first layer, if you will. Um, Is this the first movie you saw Joseph Gordon-Levitt in after Third Rock from the Sun? Oh, not even close. Uh, oh really? 
Yeah, I, I, think I it might have been the first one. I saw him in Mysterious Skin, which is a I don't want to spoil it, but it's a really hard hitting movie once it gets to what it really is about. But it's, it's at least about uh, I, it's I, about addiction. No, I mean there may be some addiction in it, but that's not what it's about. Uh, it's, it's just it's a movie with a very serious topic that it starts off about this kid who's not just a grown-up, just a girl, it's a different character. But it's about this this teenager who thinks he was adopted by an alien when he was a kid. Um, well, Jogo Love is there. Makes sense. <laughs> right. But it's actually, I remember it being a good movie, but it's a very serious, heavy topic once it gets going. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And then I also saw, I think 500 Days of Summer may have been before this. I think so. I never saw uh, that movie. Um, and it was in 10 Things I Hate About You, which may have been... Oh, he was. Yeah. That was a good movie. So Yeah, I saw him in a bunch of stuff. Uh, okay. I was thinking this was the first thing I saw him in from Third Rock. I think it might have been the first, like... In a while. serious movie role oh, where sure. he's like yeah. a leading character in it i i I, I was happy seeing him though it was a it, surprise it felt like it had been a while since i'd seen him like regularly it felt like he had like a bit of a reconnaissance around this well time. when you only know him as like a kid or a teenager in a comedy series like mm. a really slapstick comedy series and then go to this role which is like he's a grown man and he's like got that nolan look of the slick back hair and he's like got a very stoic i don't know like uh he's very like statuesque in the movie always you know he's very uh, he's very tall and it, it was just weird it's it's weird to see him so grown up yeah he's 40 next year good for him i know yeah he's almost as old as dick was at third rock from the sun <laughs> 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 which is actually really funny because i never thought like dick always just looked like an old man to me because i was a kid so mm-hmm. and then when i look back i'm like okay yeah he looks like in his 40s but for some reason in my head you know uh lithgow was just always an old man ever since like the 90s <laughs> and of course yeah i think maybe he didn't have white hair and harry and the hendersons yeah he had brown hair in that but that's like the last of him being a young man in my eyes he went gray pretty early i guess is the, is the point but yeah, okay. he's gorgeous as he reminds yes. us of course, yes. Lithgow is a gorgeous man. <laughs> um, but yeah, there was a bit of reconnaissance because it was right after this, obviously, that Dark Knight Rises. He was in Looper just after this. Uh, he was in 50-50. He was in Premium Rush. Like, there was a bunch of Joseph Gordon Levitt movies in yeah. this quick little time span. But it seemed like after Inception. Like, Inception yeah. was just like, that's the kid from Third Rock, but he's, like, all grown up and, like, super reserved and stoic on screen. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, that was that was the other one. He was in Brick, was which job. was uh, mid-2000s. Uh, so, yeah. But there was definitely a period there from about 2005 to 2010 where he was kind... Oh, 2009, because that was 500 this summer, I suppose. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, yeah that's cool. Um, so no, I was happy seeing him, though. Happy seeing him. Uh, and Ellen Page as well was... You know, it had only been a couple of years since Juno at this point, I think. So she was still relatively fresh in terms of movies. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Juno was, I think, a pretty big hit. I it was, yeah. saw that film. And uh, I knew her from... Uh, she was in a Canadian show called Trailer Park Boys, which is funny, but not your type of funny. Sure. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's maybe a bit the movie that introduced me to Tom Hardy. Like, it's funny, because now I think, you know, Tom well, Hardy's... he was the villain in Star Trek Nemesis. I didn't remember from that. <laughs> yeah. I was actually in the shower one day, thinking about the voice of Bane, and going, <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> It just clicked for me, and I had to look at it, like I had to get out of the shower early, probably still soap in my hair, and I just had to check, and I went, that is him! 
Oh, Picard! <laughs> you think Starfleet is your ally? <laughs> oh, I can't wait till we do those movies. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, you know, obviously, Kelly Murphy was another regular from Nolan's uh, past movies. Michael Caine, obviously, as well. I mean, he's got like, a small role, but he's only like two scenes, but <laughs> still. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know who Dalip Rao is. Uh, oh, for Yusuf? Yeah, I don't really know who he mm-hmm. is either. He's, he's the one that kind of sticks out at the main cast who I don't really know from anything before or since. Um, it's got a familiar face, but mm. yeah. Uh, so I, think I checked earlier, and I didn't recognize really anything. But I yes, guess Ava- he's in Avatar and Drag Me to Hell. I've seen those. Sure. <laughs> so that's the opening sort of you know hour of the movie, say right where they get they get the job. Uh, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of details you can kind of like that you forget when you've not seen it in a while. But when you watch it again, you realize, no, there was a reason why they had to take this job. There was a reason why there was people after him and all that. Because, you know, I always remember the chase that happens uh, in, is it Mombasa? I think they said they're in. Um, and I always remember that chase, but I never remember why was he being chased and who was chasing him. It's one of those things where those details kind of, you know, leave after a while. Because they're not the important parts of the movie. But uh, it was always the people who hired him for the first job and mm-hmm. uh, all the rest of it. And. We should talk about what the case, what the the job is. It's uh, to convince Kelly Murphy, who is the son of a a energy company, you know, owner, billionaire, mogul. Yeah, and they want to convince him to basically sell off and break up the empire, and sort of uh, you know dissolve it basically. Um, which I still assume would lead to him getting a big payday, even if it's... Because he says multiple times in the movie that, oh, to kiss my inheritance goodbye, I'm pretty sure if he sells off the company, he's going to get a pretty big start sum for that. But, um, And th- this is one of these things, I've heard people talk about this since the movie came out, is like, you know, can we talk about the morality of what they're doing in this movie? Like, is it, like they're essentially doing this criminal thing and they're trying to convince this guy to do something. And it's one of those things where I never really cared too much about it. There but they a, are criminals. They are criminals. And there is a <laughs> so- moment... There, no, but there is a scene that tries to kind of give it a bit of a moral, like, leeway. There's a scene earlier on when they're, where he's explaining to them what the plan actually finally is, or what the, the you know, who they're trying to convince of what and for what purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, where he, he basically says that if they're, they're about to be, own more than half the world's energy, they're going to be this monopoly and every, everyone else. And so it kind of, it tries to paint it, at least from Sato's point of view, that he's actually doing the world a favour by stopping this monopoly from... Yeah, but he also thing. has something to gain from it. He so does. We don't know if he's really telling the truth. He does. He, he does keep his word later on, though. So I mean, he earns a little bit of trust. A little mm. bit. If we can believe that this is even reality. Oh God, are we, is this going to be a little total recall <laughs> debate? <laughs> well, I think that is an important discussion to have. As a ending of the film. Well, funnily enough, one of the, the the arguments for the 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 whole thing's a layer of a dream the entire time is. The chase sequence that I was talking about when he meets Tom Hardy and then he, he realizes he's being tailed. Which, by the way, I love one of the lines of dialogue that I've seen that I love is uh, when Tom Hardy points out that there's, that there's a tail, there's a couple of guys following him, and uh, DiCaprio's like, eh, That bounty on me, was that uh, dead or alive? And he's like, I can't remember. Let's see if they start shooting. <laughs> I just thought I really that Tom Hardy is really cool in this movie. He is. He's the coolest. Um, he's got the big guns but when he's running away from them he, he keeps going down these, these alleyways and he ends up in one that's really skinny and he's he's struggling to fit through it and one yeah, but he's the, not sideways like why wouldn't he just turn a little bit more <laughs> sure but one of the arguments for this all being a dream the whole time is that this is a very dreamlike concept the idea that mm. he, he's, he can't get out and there's a really it keeps getting narrow and narrow yeah that claustrophobia yeah 
Yeah, that's that's the thing. That which I, which I think it is intentionally a dreamlike thing, but I don't know if it's proof that we're in a dream right now. It's just well, I mean, in the dreams, if people su- suspect that your your projections or whatever suspect that you're invading, then they do come out and attack you mm-hmm. and chase you. Yeah, that but it could the- just be the projections turning on them. Well, Plus, we no. have that scene with Michael Caine where he goes, "You should really like come back to reality, like all emotional." <laughs> <laughs> That's the... you know what he means by that. <laughs> well, it could mean two things. <laughs> okay, the, but to counter your first point, there uh, is that it, who's who's dream is he in then? If, if the entire thing's a dream, then surely it's just him in his own dream, and therefore, why is there anything fighting back? Or he's in Mal's dream. Okay, that's a cat of worms. Like, why are you suggesting that? <laughs> because they go into the the dream world together, right? Sh- we don't really know how many layers deep they are. Oh, until we get to the end, just for the sake of argument, let's assume that this is a face value, and you see okay. my cat jump down from the, the heavens above. Uh, let's assume that this is the real world, and everything is is you know at least as explained to us is face value correct. We can mm-hmm. debate any other possibilities later, because otherwise this is going to get really weird. Try to like double explain everything as we go over. Is it a dream or is it reality the whole time? Mm-hmm. Uh, you think it's reality? I I think this. I think the the first yeah this chunk of the movie is definitely reality. Um, there is a chance that he's still in Sato's dream at the end, I suppose, because we see Ellen Page jump to get her kick out of the limbo, but we don't see him do it. <laughs> so there's actually two dreams he could be stuck in I'm not commenting this yet it's just too early for this discussion <laughs> alright well we can't have that debate well, yet. We, just, we just can't come on we can't just start talking about what the ending is <laughs> and what we think it means yet. I realise you're worried this will go too long but we can't jump straight to that from here okay <laughs> so Yes, but no, I loved assembling the team, and th- th- maybe the one thing that they kind of put in here that maybe could have been taken out for time mm-hmm. is this idea that people who do this frequently eventually can't dream without intentionally get into like a dream world with the machine, mm-hmm. um, and we see like this sort of like den you know, that the the Yosef or Yusuf helps run, but there's all these people who come to sleep, and um, like maybe that scene and the yeah. idea could have been trimmed. I do like getting a little bit more backstory about this, that like this was originally used for soldiers so that they can, yeah, yeah, for training. And it's also used for like entertainment and stuff like that. So I did like getting some more backstory about the dream machine. Yeah. As much as it feels a little bit, so I'll just quickly put in there, uh, this bit I'm talking about where there's, we find out there's people who come specifically to dream because it's the only way they can dream. Um, I do actually like that it fleshes out the larger world in the context. I like the mm-hmm. mythology side of it. And the fact that he uses it himself, you know, Cobb that is, uh, to dream because mm-hmm. it's the only way he can dream, uh, does add in that, that. And also one of the other things we learn here, of course, is the time difference. Is that when you go into a dream, the way t- time moves slower. So uh, in a regular dream, like it was like four hours is about a week in the dream, I think they said, or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then you go another one, uh, you know, layered down and then it becomes months and then you go on all layered down and it's like 10 years to an hour or whatever it yeah. is. Uh, or maybe it's a year to an hour yeah because i think they say the 10 hour played might be like 10 years if you're stuck in world number three uh so like i i love that stuff i love those mechanical rules because 
it's the sort of thing that it uses later to be really kind of fun with the action and make it really intricate where you've got one layer moving at this speed and this layer moving at that speed you know i i love see, seeing the, the, the last like 20 minutes whatever it is every time it cuts to that van slowly dropping <laughs> to, i love that yeah I, it's a nice reminder like about yeah. how time is working between yeah. the dreams i love it i love it all uh let me ask you something yes how often do you dream that i remember not often <laughs> that would be my next question <laughs> not often how often do you remember your dream after five seconds of being awake <laughs> seems like a really risky plan to like do this for killian murphy's character <laughs> where he's likely to forget everything that just happened after he wakes up <laughs> no i think he does forget everything that's the point yeah okay like uh, the point of this is because if he remembers the details he's, he's likely to not actually it's not, not going to work the whole point of this is that he has this idea based on this experience in the dream without actually remembering Knowing why yeah because okay. otherwise otherwise he knows it's not his idea okay <laughs> um as for everyone it does else, make a bit more sense because he does see all the characters like yeah. from his dream while he's walking away like it's odd that i dreamt about everybody in first class <laughs> yeah i, I don't <laughs> think he does not remember any of that i think that's the point okay uh, okay, okay um yeah everyone else though i'd say they do remember things easily because they're awake in the dreams if that makes sense like or they know they're going into a dream i, I assume it would it be funny if they all woke up and be like whoa i think i had a crazy dream <laughs> <laughs> they don't remember it <laughs> um uh, obviously the other big thing is he has to recruit ellen page uh to he gets because michael keynes is the uh either his father or father-in-law i'm not <laughs> i'm not entirely sure which i think he's yeah she's he says she, He's the grandfather of the, of his kids, so either yeah. father or father-in-law, yeah. But he has no French accent, and his wife does, so probably father. I mean, he has no... I mean, Michael Caine doesn't have, have either a French or American accent, so, I mean, that argument goes for both. No, but, I mean, like, unless he's teaching in France, and he's got a French wife and a French daughter... I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense that he's yes, because that's how he probably ended up with a French star. <laughs> is is that he teaches in France? Yes, I, I don't disagree with that. Is he teaching in France? Yes, he's, he's he's literally at his own his like office or his own like lecture hall in university. That's where he goes to see him in Paris. In France? Yeah, that's what oh, okay. Paris is. Okay, probably yes. his father-in-law. <laughs> we cracked the code. I just I don't know. It's a bit of a delay, but it was really funny that he said that. Where I said, yeah, he was in Paris and France. Oh, yeah. I, didn't hear, yes, in yeah. Paris, yes. I didn't hear the Paris. <laughs> Paris, Texas. <laughs> I love that movie. That movie's a 10. Uh, so <laughs> I just, I thought I'll go back and explain that. Because it made you sound quite silly on my end. <laughs> there so, is a very, very brief delay. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, but you know, he, and again, this is like, she has to, he has to explain because she, he can't just be his own architect because he can't have Mal, which is a representation of his subconscious and his guilt, and that's why I won't leave him alone. It's just what it's what's eating at him. And this is one of the things that I think worked even better for me this time, is the idea of what Mal is in his mind and what it represents, and the idea of like the world like is that's still in the uh, the limbo area that they built together, all that stuff. Because um, one one of the, the rules that was a little confusing to me in the first time, but I think I get it the more I've seen it, is that I think in limbo. You can just kill yourself to wake up. Mm -hmm. The problem with limbo is that 
you don't realize you're in limbo you're just sort of lost in it and you think it's the real kind of thing is yeah like the deeper idea? you go the yeah. easier it is to forget your reality yeah i, I think because because i mean that's how they get out you know they, they kill themselves in the first place like that's how mm-hmm. mal and uh cobb get out when we get the backstory uh but you know we get a lot of the, the training stuff with uh ellen page like practicing manipulating the dream and um there is there is a lot here uh there's a lot here about the like the subconscious projections of all the, the the public that are kind of projected by the person who's dreaming so that this is cobb's dream with her inside it uh, creating the dream world and because she's altering things the 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 general subconscious starts to like, reject her and stare at her and eventually attack her um which is an interesting idea um but yeah arguably maybe they over explain it a bit too much where there's just so much of it being because uh, it's just reiterated a couple of times maybe after this they didn't have to tell us about it as much mm-hmm. um again we could have maybe just got it from context later on but um yep yeah and uh it's a cool sequence like watching her flip the city over in half just like in the poster and the trailer and all that but it's uh it's okay i think it goes a bit long uh t- <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's just your opinion of the movie. It's okay, but it goes a bit long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I, I like this stuff quite a bit. It kind of gets into the, again the sort of the, the mechanics of it. Uh, it's why mm-hmm. I really like when she comes back and, uh, you know, just to go and live with Arthur. He teaches her about you know mazes and the paradoxes. You know, the thing with the stairs, uh, almost things to trick the NPCs from mm-hmm. from finding them. Like, yeah. Again, really, really fun idea. I, I think what I love about this type of movie is that even okay, you can sit down and nitpick it apart and try and find flaws in it, uh, but you you really get the feeling that they sat down and said, okay, what if this? No, but what if this? And they, they really tried to build like a, a big system that made it all sort of click together. And yeah, maybe you can find the the, the crannies and the nooks that don't quite, you know, completely solve it all. But the beauty of it being dreams is that there's a bit of leeway with dreams because they're kind of. You mean cop out? <laughs> sure, <laughs> if you'd like to use that phrase. <laughs> yeah, but but it works, and I, I think that's why it gets quite interesting. Where you, where you start to say, okay, but ignore ignore that side of it, and ignore or start to look and analyze what anything that's happening means in the context of of, of Mal uh, and and how she's invading things. Uh, but no, I, I love that stuff. Uh, to, but to get to the point, one of the things we mentioned earlier that we've, we've kind of like glossed over here is Ellen Page getting very upset uh, because at the mm-hmm. end of this training sequence uh, where she's manipulating the city, Mal shows up and stabs her and kills her. And she, she's not prepared for this. She's in great pain. She wakes up and she's just absolutely mortified by the by this. Um, she's mortified that he would have a subconscious that would do that. Yeah. Um, and then leaves and says, I don't want to work with somebody who has that. But like most people's subconscious, they're probably all having sex with each other in the dream. <laughs> like it would be far, far worse. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, fair. But I, I think to be fair to the character here is that she just experienced dying. Because as they've pointed out, the experience is very real to them. The pain mm-hmm. of being stabbed was definitely real. And most college students have not been stabbed yet. Most people never get stabbed. So... I, I I feel like she's stabbed yet. I feel like she's in shock. Yeah. Uh, no, neither have I, for the record. Yeah, oh, no. <laughs> Some, I mean. Yeah. You think I'm stabbable? <laughs> no, not never. I'm just surprised that 
no one's ever tried. Well, there's been attempts. <laughs> you swing at the king, you best not miss. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's okay. It's just like, like I understand her reaction to being stabbed. Mm-hmm. I don't understand her understand her her reaction to his brain is too messed up for me to be involved in this. Yeah, I, I think it's just the again the shock of it. Um, but I, I, I mean, I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's nothing that ever didn't click for me. Because uh, obviously later on she notices that he's dreaming and she eventually kind of hijacks his dream by, you know, jacking in. Uh, which makes sense because it's not like he's just sitting dreaming on his own. He's hooked up to the thing because it establishes that he can only dream now if he does hook up to the to the, the machine. And yeah. she goes in and we get all all these like teases of like... Saw, and I love all the imagery. There's constant trains. You know, there's, there's one point when she's down the elevator. There's like a train goes by in one floor. Uh, mm-hmm. Just the image again, over and over of the train and the guilt of everything he did, and Christopher Nolan loves his trains and all that stuff. Maybe it's his brother that likes them. Maybe they had a train set growing up. What other Christopher Nolan films have trains in them? Batman. Oh sure, it was a monorail. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it wasn't something that I noticed as a like a Nolan favorite <laughs> that popped up a lot. Yeah, I mean there was a one in Dunkirk. I'm sure he protested. <laughs> oh, I'm sure, yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, I, I mean, would you want to talk about like the the actual emotional side of stuff rather than tackling it kind of in order? Because we, we talk about the heist. I, I think the heist and all the fun sort of layer stuff there, and then the emotional side for Cobb are, mm-hmm. are two kind of different topics, really. Um, which one would you like to tackle first? Um, yeah, we could talk about the emotional stuff, because I think we're at the right part for it. I mean, sure. her going into his his dream, and he's got these different levels of where he keeps his memories, and they're memories of his dead wife, and they're not nice memories, but her name is Mal, which I think is French for bad, so she's kind of representative of a bad dream, I suppose. I mean, it would be a bad dream. Uh, in a lot of ways, even if he's kind of happy here, this is a lie, so it's kind of a mischievous dream in that sense. I, what I like about a lot of this stuff, because because early on when he was training uh, Ellen Page, he was saying things like, "Oh, you don't don't take streets from real life. Don't don't just recreate things from the world because mm-hmm. it, it's confusing." And I love the idea that he's terrified because he was trapped and because of what happened to his wife. He is he's so because for me it's not so much that it's a real rule. Um, and I, I did lo- I did like when Arthur kind of pokes at him later when he's like, oh, you're getting used to the idea that he always does things that he tells everyone else never to do. Um, mm-hmm. But this idea that for him, it's more about this fear because of his history. It's more of a tease of what happened again, that he's that against doing this. And again, don't use memories. And he's using, he's, he's got entire memories filling floors of a dream. And then, so when we get to that stuff, and obviously we have the train invading uh, in, in, in the first layer of the dream and again to the heist. And then we have Mal showing up eventually and killing Sato and these constant kind of like fears in this. Along the way, the stuff we learn is this idea that Mal and Cobb fell into limbo, right? There's a revelation uh, when they realize that they're actually in danger. They can't just die in the dream, uh, which we'll get to kind of the, the rules of that in a bit. Uh, he explains that, you know, they were in limbo together and they spent decades, something about 50 years, literally spending a lifetime together in, in the dream. Mm-hmm. And in limbo, building worlds, and some of the visuals here are phenomenal. There's a there's a visual where they're on the beach, and they've got they've got they're like they're making a sandcastle, 
but they wipe away one of the blocks and you can see a building behind them just crumbling in the same same way mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hitting things at my keyboard <laughs> and like the visuals of that are, are really great uh conceptually all this stuff is i think it's just kind of fascinating uh all these details uh that are in there but ultimately what this all boils down to is that the actual heart of the story is obviously the the functional goal for Cobb is to get back to his kids because he can't enter the country uh but the emotional goal really ultimately the arc is that he has to forgive himself for what he did for what he did to to mal and it's teased early on the film you know when he says that he's done it before inception that is mm-hmm. he says he's done it before and he doesn't answer who he's done it to and like and there's a, there's a really poignant moment actually it's right after the whole reveal of limbo and the dangers of what's going to happen where ellen page asks him or whatever and, or maybe it's actually before that but he's she's basically saying hey it's not your fault what happened to her you didn't you know do anything to her and there's like a look in his face you know good performance moment for for dicaprio where you can see in his eyes that he does feel responsible uh he didn't literally kill her and in the sense that he's you know on the run for but he does feel responsible he actually because uh, there's a beautiful kind of symmetry to the movie where he's literally forgiving forgiven sorry uh for the crime and the sense of being pardoned or the charges going away to get home but that only happens once he actually forgives himself for what he actually did for the the actual real shame that he feels for what he did um which is he planted the the idea in her head that her world wasn't real which he did because she believed that her world was real (laughs) when limbo you know they, they were in there and eventually he's aware that they're not in a real world anymore but she has become you know enveloped she's too in yeah Yeah. she's too deep so so he has to use the totem the spinning top which is introduced of course early on it's used repeatedly every there's a few times after he uh is asleep he'll go immediately and spin it but there's even one moment after the uh test of the 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 the, you know the, the, the the drug sedative uh with yusuf where he doesn't actually get to spin it he's interrupted by by uh, the sato uh, to mm-hmm. in the bathroom, and I, I feel like that's one of those moments where people who want to try and convince everyone that it's, it's a dream from that point on because he never got to spin it. Uh, I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> like, I get it. I get why you, you may want to say that, but I don't necessarily think it is. I think it's like a tease. I think it's like a, it's to keep you thinking, keep me your toes. I yeah. think it's a dream. <laughs> right, we'll get we'll get to the ending if the ending's still a dream. Okay. okay? Um, but there's lots of things i love like obviously the, the recurring theme of the the room you know the, the house i loved it when he, he's with mal towards the end when him and ellen page decide to go into limbo to rescue kelly and murphy because kelly murphy's shot and taken into limbo i, I love that it's the same room but the skyline outside the window is of the city they made together it was just it's a completely different visual it's in the background mm-hmm. but it's one of those details i hadn't necessarily noticed the first time i watched it and just little bits and pieces like that but of course what happened is that when they woke up and that's why this this idea of like what he said to her is that you know we're waiting for a train that little speech that we hear bits of throughout the movie eventually they killed themselves by lying down with their heads on the track and they wake up but she the idea and this kind of ties into what they're doing with the main character or not the main character but with, with kelly and murphy right is that the whole point of inception is to plant an idea that then once when he wakes up that idea is still there and that idea takes hold Mm-hmm. So it makes sense in a lot of ways that when she woke up from Limbo, that that idea was still there, that her world is a lie. 
and the only way she can get out of the world is if she if she kills herself um so he, if he puts the idea in her head did he had to did he have to go into another level of limbo in order to do that um i don't think so i think all he did was it took her tome and made it spin forever in the safe because that's what you see him do you see him spinning it and shutting the door mm-hmm. and i think that's like the, the proof to her that this world isn't real um but it doesn't, it doesn't go too deeply into that part of it uh yeah basically because it's got a lot to go through so i, I guess they have to draw a line somewhere uh I, I loved a lot of glimpses though later on when you hear the more emotional beats of this uh, there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a couple of quick shots where you see their hands and they're not that they're, they're aged it's like, it's like they did literally get old in the dream world and i can't decide for me maybe i'll i'll see how you feel about this if mm-hmm. the movie's saying that every time we've seen these flashes of this you know part of their history has been kind of like fake in the sense that we've been seeing the young version of the characters but they've, they were really old because they'd grown old together and that this little glimpse of the old hands is the real image or if the real image is the young because why would they really have to age in the dream and that yeah the old i assume hands, that they wouldn't like it would be 50 yeah. years but they they grow old together because they experience 50 years of, of time but they don't actually age because yeah so, how, so what they I'm know saying, how to even age but it does happen to sato when he goes so i don't know sure yeah i mean it's maybe a perception thing in terms of you expect it to happen therefore it does happen um but you, you, I could also see it as these little glimpses are more like a thematic touch of, like, how they felt in the time. Like, you know, by mm-hmm. the time they'd gotten to that point where they're holding hands and they've got these aged, you know, wrinkled... And maybe when they realize that it's still a dream that they're in and not reality, that they go back to the age that they were? Uh, maybe, yeah. Uh, they project a, that age. I, I love those little beats, those little emotional uh, snippets that are kind of cut in there. Yeah, I like, I like the... Um the you know conundrum that that Cobb is in because of the memory that he or the idea that he planted into his wife's head and what that leads to is that when she wakes up from the dream she's still not convinced that she's out of a dream even when she's quote in reality well which is kind of the whole concept of like the ending right and why there's a debate if like uh, he really is you know in the dream or or not and and still uh, is he back out in the real world uh mm-hmm. and i mean we can talk about that just now we can go back and talk about the actual action heist stuff and the layers and all that because we kind of skipped over that sure. for now we talk about the emotion uh so obviously you know when, when the ending happens and he wakes up and he's on the plane and that maybe hans zimmer's best piece of all time starts playing <laughs> um as he's getting off the plane and he's looking at everyone and there's that moment where he's at you know uh at customs or whatever or uh immigration and you know and the actor by the way the, the, the customs officer whoever it is uh that actor's on leftovers and a bunch of other stuff he, i've seen him in various things uh hey, good I, for him and i don't he think I, I don't think I, I knew him when i saw this originally i think it's just because i've seen him in things since mm-hmm. uh, there's also uh, a woman in it um tolula <clears throat> riley i think her name is she's in westworld oh yeah that's the uh the the, the quote-unquote hot blonde that, uh yeah uh, Tom Hardy, because Tom Hardy's whole thing, of course, is that he can become other characters in the dreams. Yeah, yeah, and it was just it was fun to see, yeah. you know, someone else that I recognized now from a movie ten years ago. Yeah, oh, that was cool. That was cool. Uh, but you know, we have the sequence where he goes home. Um, Michael Caine's taking him home. He goes in and he, you know, flips the spin top, and but then he hears 
you know, Michael Caine say to the, the, the grandkids, uh, hey, look mm-hmm. who's here, and they turn around and he sees their faces, and he walks off to the kids. And this is one of my favourite fairy experiences of all time, is the ending of Inception. And the reason for this... Is because they're grown? <laughs> no, it's the opposite. Uh, it wasn't a groan at all. It was a... Uh, uh, it, it, was, it was more of a sort of like come on kind of noise i guess uh yeah that's what i meant okay sure uh, <laughs> it no, was but, a we want an answer we didn't get it but it, it wasn't i feel like there's a tone like it wasn't like a oh it wasn't that it was more like oh it was like <laughs> yeah i got yeah. that in my theater too and i didn't see it in america i saw it in i think i was in the philippines when i saw it so well, that, that's it transcends thing continents <laughs> well this is the notable thing is that audiences in the uk do not make noises really mm-hmm. outside of laughter and a comedy they just don't um maybe the odd stream in a horror movie if something happens to catch someone off guard but you guys have a stiff upper stiff upper lip that the, yeah the trope <laughs> i guess uh but that, that's got an audible noise and it was one of those things where you kind of like knew how it was going to cut to black there's mm-hmm. a moment where the camera's going down to the spinning top and you're like, it's going to cut to black before we see it fall. It's, it's going to like make us want to see it fall and it's going to cut to black to leave it be ambiguous because it's, it's just it's the perfect like movie thing to do uh, mm-hmm. to keep us all thinking about it. And I, I think the ending's beautiful. Um, now, I'm going to let you go first here. You think this is a dream at the end. So yes. I'm going to ask you why. Why do you think this is a dream at the end? I think that... Well, I think there's a lot of hints dropped throughout the film that he could still be in a dream. I mean, I noticed it especially more this time watching it since I knew what the ending was going into it. And I think that ultimately for his character, it doesn't matter for him anymore if he's in a dream or not. I think that's why he leaves the top alone and goes to his kids because he's able to see them again and be with them again. And he has closure with his wife. But so maybe if this is his reality, even if it's false, it's enough for him. Okay. Uh, I do not think it's a dream. And the, the reason why I don't think it's a dream, um, I mean, I, 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 I kind of didn't really feel like it was a dream even in the first viewing, but it was kind of a couple of viewings before I kind of came to this conclusion, is that that's not his tome. His to- that, that's Mal's tome, right? Mm-hmm. The spinning top's Mal's tome. And he uses it throughout the film to prove that he's not asleep anymore. I'm going to propose to you the idea that his real totem is his children. And his children, he constantly sees the flashback of looking out at them in the in the yard, the front yard or the, the back garden. And he also sees them occasionally like popping into the dreams, right? You know, it was in a restaurant with Sato at one point. He sees the, or not even Sato, it was with uh, Kelly Murphy's character. And you mm-hmm. see the kids over in the corner. Every single time you see the kids in this movie until the ending, you never see their faces. He never That's sees true. their faces. In fact, there's even a moment where Mal tries to get them to turn around when he's there in a dream, and he turns away to not look at them. Um, the ending, to me, the way I read it, is, and much like Michael Caine saying earlier on, you have to come back to reality, and much, and again, uh, talking about how he's finally forgiven himself by saying goodbye to the, 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 the Mal in his dream. Because I love the speech he gives her about how, because she keeps saying, oh, you can stay here with me, we can still be together, you can stay here with me. And keep in mind, this is not really her. This is his projection of her. No, um, but yeah, it's his projection slash memory that he's been keeping in a cage that he drives into willingly to dream about every night. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's unhealthy. The, the point I'm making, though, is that 
this is him letting this idea go and letting himself get over it. But I love the speech here where he says to her that she's not good enough because she's as, as good as he tries to recreate her, it's not the real person. It's not the real person with all of her flaws and all of her uh, quirks and everything. Like you know, he can he can get close. He can try his best to recreate it, and that's something that they did together with their houses. You know, they had her first house, their first apartment together, mm-hmm. all that. They, they recreated everything as best they could. But it's never the real thing. It's always just this recreation. And by saying this to her and kind of finally giving her up, he's finally letting himself go of the guilt. And I think the ending, when he sees his kids' faces, because realistically he's not been home in years. He's not seen his kids' faces in years. When he sees his kids' faces... But the kids are the same age as when he's dreaming about them. Yeah, but he doesn't know what they look like. Mm-hmm. He only imagines them behind. But if it's he... been years, then shouldn't they be older? No, but if he knows what age they are, he can imagine them what age they are now. That's why he doesn't see their faces. You can imagine what a kid looks like from the back. <laughs> Maybe. Can I, can I make a point? Right. Yeah. His kids' faces are the totem. And when he sees his kids' faces, he knows that he doesn't need the totem anymore. He doesn't need the spinning top anymore. He knows he's in real life because he sees his kids. And therefore, he doesn't need the spinning top to fall anymore. And therefore, neither do we as the audience. And that's why we don't see it fall. That's why we cut to black. Um... That's why I read on the end of Inception, is that it's real, he's earned reality, and he doesn't need to see it fall. He doesn't need that, that confirmation tick, because he's already had the, the confirmation. He knows But the real. audience needs it. We know no, we need it, because we, even, no, we with our two, even with our two no, experiences, it was exactly the same. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, true. I, I think that's the initial thing, but I... I this is a movie that I think begs for interpretation and begs for like sort of coming up with your read on it, um, mm-hmm. and not for for me. No, I mean I like your I like your interpretation of it. Um, oh. I still think he's in a dream, but <laughs> and I I I definitely think he is not. Uh, I uh, obviously we don't have to argue about it. The beautiful thing about it is that we can have two different interpretations, but for me, there's no other way to read this movie than the ending being. Like, and I know some people could say, oh, well, it's this ultra happy ending, therefore that has to be a dream. I'm like, yeah, what was happy about all the other dreams? All the other dreams were goddamn miserable. You were definitely <laughs> wrong about Total Recall. I think I put an interesting argument up for that, to be honest. I don't know it if was I... Interesting. <laughs> borderline interesting. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I will not die in the hell for Total Recall. I will I will <laughs> die in the hell for Inception. This, this is reality at the end. All right. <laughs> and I've, I've explained my case the, the children are the totem and that's why you don't see their faces till the end and once he sees their faces he knows it's real he doesn't need to see it fall so therefore now do we so how much time do you think he was away from them you think he was gone for years yeah I think his youngest is like three years old yeah I mean the youngest may have been a baby uh, just a little baby yeah I mean that's the sort of thing like when you're thinking of uh like when they woke up from limbo i mean they spent 50 years together but the the implication we get is that they were probably just it was a nap you know in terms of the real world it was just a nap (laughs) that is true time works differently in nolan's brain so (laughs) so now that's my read on the ending um and i felt you know as i was watching it and i watched it with that in mind going through it i see because i actually do think there's a beautiful touching uh kind of final like when 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 Cobb gets to Sato in limbo to kind of bring him back out of it 
because and now this kind of goes back into the once you realize you're in limbo you can just kill yourself to get out of it because once he finds Seo, all he has to do is convince him who he is and where he is and that they're mm-hmm. both in limbo and therefore you all he does is reach for the gun and then we cut to them waking up um so i, I think this is the sort of movie where people want it to be like harder and like more complex and it's more mysterious than it is i actually I think, th- I think the directors or the director and the writers wanted it to be <laughs> but go ahead i disagree I, I, that just sounds like i don't know not salt but <laughs> so, I, I think this movie is definitely more complicated than it needs to be and i i think it's backed up by the fact that the movie's constantly being explained to you by characters no, yeah that, that the ideas are complex but i don't think the movie is uh deceptive and i don't think the the movie is look i think the actual story is quite straightforward it's just the actual mechanics of how everything works is really complex mm. um I you know I, I you know I compared it jokingly earlier to like if you didn't have all the explanations it'd maybe be more like a David Lynch movie we'd have to interpret it and try and get to the meaning behind everything and how it all works. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think with this what we have is we have a movie that doesn't want to be that it wants to be something that we can follow and maybe there is a bit of ambiguity for sure. I mean it's not like it, the, the the premise itself and even just raising the question of is something real or a dream and then having your ending kind of play on that uh clearly yes that is an idea that's there the whole time but i don't think it's a movie that's actually trying to be like a main bender where everyone's going to be debating like what it is for for all time i I guess i don't know i just don't get that impression from it it feels it feels a bit more straightforward to me than that i don't know i mean with the ending like that that is ambiguous purposely ambiguous and causes Mm -hmm. people to be torn i think i think that's exactly what it's going for I think the end is about making you think about it more. It's about me. I think everyone does. I was thinking about it. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I was looking up different, uh, not reviews, but like explanations for the dream because I I wanted to keep track of the rules, and like honestly, the some of the analysis that I got are very contradictory to other people's, mm. and they're all written by seemingly smart people, as far as I can tell, <laughs> but. There are many different interpretations of how the dream levels work and um, what each thing means in it. Yeah, I guess I don't. It's funny because I do love rules, and this is the sort of thing where if there wasn't some clear rule set out, I'd be like a livid. And I, not livid, but that's maybe a harsh word. But I, w- <laughs> I would be less into the concept as a whole. But I, I think they explain it well enough that it functions well. I think when I'm watching it, where it never feels confusing when it's cutting around. I mean, if you don't want to. Th- think about it too much like i think you can get a lot more from it but if you're trying to follow everything that's being presented it can get a little bit muddled i mean even the like the different charts of realities and and dream levels like some people said there's four and then there's people who say there's seven and then like the the limbo stages are the same in in one and not where's, in the other like it's, where's thought where's seven coming from it's uh, never even close to seven there's like there's reality. There's incept. The first level of inception, and then there's like. Oh, 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 oh. reality doesn't count. That's not a layer of dream. First, let's get that out of the way. Okay, so there's. <laughs> I don't know. It's in some people's charts. Okay. 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 <laughs> like here's here's uh, right. So, 
Oh, I guess we're getting to the heist. We're getting to the heist, and we're going to talk about that now, right? And I actually okay. love the build-up to it. You see, when they all go to sleep on the plane, uh, which, mm-hmm. by the way, uh, I'd forgotten about the line that was meme to death at the time, and loved hearing it again when I realised he was about to say it. When, uh, say, it was like, I bought the airline. Team neater. <laughs> when they're talking about, oh, we'll we have to buy off the pilot and the, the flight attendant and all that. Oh, I just bought the airline. It's very Bruce Wayne of him. Team neater. It is very Bruce Wayne of him. You're right. I like that line. Um, I also love the explanation of the kick when uh, they're, they're testing to make sure they can wake themselves up from the, this, uh, this sedative and there's just like a montage of Joseph Gordon-Levitt being thrown about <laughs> on the chair. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Uh, so I hate but, that feeling of falling when you're oh, yeah. falling asleep too. I hate it. Yeah, it sucks. Um, so no, But I love when it cuts to like just it's Yusuf we see first like in the rain. It just kind of feels like, oh, we've been building up to this for like a full hour. We've spent a lot of time building up to this this heist. Uh, and I like that it really feels... It's the sort of thing where if this was a TV show, you could have spent like four episodes and then building up to it and then like have like six episodes actually set in the in the dreams as they're going through mm-hmm. the, the actual thing um right so layer one is in the city uh, in the rain everyone's there um and it's yusuf's dream um which i, I guess i I never really paid too much attention to whose dream each layer was. I didn't think it was really that important. Although, some of them, it may, it's obvious that it's their dream because, for example, it's obviously Arthur's well, dream in the next layer because he's the one who has to, uh, like, kick everyone else. Yeah, it, it, that's it. It's just whoever is going to be the monitor. Yeah. The one that wakes people up has yeah. to... Because if the, they're already in... If, if, if they're in, like, if they're in my dream... Mm-hmm then it has to go into somebody else's dream to get into the next level. Yes. Right? It can't be me again. Absolutely. But it can because that's what DiCaprio, that's what Cobb and his wife did. But uh, whatever. I guess it's unsafe, maybe, if you go into multiple layers of the same person's dream. Uh, probably. Um, but yeah, so, but it's clearly like Arthur's dream in the the hotel and then it's clearly aim's dream when they're in the the snowy fortress kind of layer if there's one thing that i don't think i completely get there's like one detail in the chain of the layers because i would say so layer one city rain right yusuf's dream and then mm-hmm. layer two hotel arthur's dream he's the one who has to give them the kick there obviously in layer one it's the the the, the van going off the bridge layer two it's, well, it's supposed to just be the explosives in the room, but ultimately they, they have to improvise and use the elevator because uh, mm-hmm. they have to do the second kick when the van hits the water. So we have the whole slow motion thing. Layer three, Snow Fortress, uh, Ames Dream. Um, and you know, and the plan through all of these is really great as well. I, I love the, the Kelly Murphy stuff of like, okay, one layer is to sort of plant the seed that, you know, this this like uncle character, you know, it wasn't literally his uncle, but kind of thing is like against them. And all the layers about uh the idea that your father wanted you to be different than him and so on and so on so each one has got a purpose uh mm-hmm. but when they're on this third layer they're on the snow layer and uh Sato dies right he gets uh, shot by mal he's into limbo right because they explain once they realize that, okay if we get shot in here because we're in the set you know the set of and because we're going so deep if we get shot in here we don't just wake up we go into limbo um and we'll be in there for, you know, what 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 could be 
decades and decades and you know our minds might be mush by the time we ever come back out of it and they say okay so sales went into limbo right is uh, you know or sorry not sale sorry i mean sale does go into limbo but uh mm-hmm. more importantly he's not the one who's shot by mal mal shoots uh was it fisher uh kelly murphy's character yes right and we think that's all over i got that wrong there a second ago um yeah it basically like, oh well we can go down and get him and send them back up um I, I don't necessarily get why cobb going to sleep with with uh ellen page puts them into limbo with the machine that is the one little i guess link yeah, in all this that doesn't make sense to me i don't know is limbo like the fourth layer or is it like can you just will yourself into limbo like you can either die and go into limbo or you can just sort of dream about limbo yeah maybe well one of the things that does set up of course earlier on is that the limbo they go to will have something from a subconscious that's already been there and in this case that's that's cobb cobb's the only one who's mm-hmm. ever been there so that's why it's his city when they go there that's why it's oh this is the city me and mal built that's now crumbling and you know tearing apart why why is it always cobb's subconscious that comes in and nobody else's because he's the one with the skill and the issues the idea is that they're all relatively healthy and don't need therapy, whereas he's got this problem. Or he's the only, or it's his dream the entire time, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> As Tara's interpretation, I, I'm going with. I mean, nobody else has a subconscious. Nobody. Tom Hardy seems like he's got skeletons in his closet. Well, I think they do. I think the idea is that his is just so like big and intrusive and, and destructive because of the guilt that's weighing on him that it keeps invading whenever they're, they're anyone else because it's eating at him yeah just seems like if it's something if it's if it's something that can occur like if anybody who's there can bring their own subconscious with them and scenes from their subconscious then you think that anybody could well, I think that shows you how messed up he is, though. That his is the only one that's doing it. Like, that, that in and of itself is a piece of evidence. It's a piece of storytelling, right? Y- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine, you don't think so. But I, I, I think that, that shows that he is a, an extreme case. That no one else is having this problem where there are, you know, <laughs> other things. Because we have mentioned Tom Hardy pretends to be the, sort of the, the, the dad's friend or whoever he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then becomes the, the the beautiful woman in the second layer to to be a distraction. Because mm-hmm. um, the whole plan in the second layer in the hotel is that they have to convince uh, Kelly and Murphy that Cobb is actually part of his own inner head security. Because that's the big sort of reveal is that he's had training to combat this. So his his yeah, subconscious his, is... his projections are all military. <laughs> yeah, they're trained soldiers who are trying to kill them for being in there. I guess this is something that the rich can do. I guess that's another one of those things that I like to have fleshed out the mythology. That yeah, mm-hmm. like, now that the rich of the rich actually do this. I, I even laughed at one point. Kelly Murphy said, "I'm I'm uh, insured for kidnapping for ten million dollars." I'm like, "Is that a thing? <laughs> Kidnap yeah. insurance for the ransom money?" <laughs> I guess we are in the future. Absolutely, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can see it. Um, so that that's the one kink is that how they get to limbo from there, like by going to sleep. I never. Like, is it just one more layer down, I guess, is the answer, but, uh, but. Yeah, like, is it the fourth layer, like, any, you can't go past the fourth layer of a dream, or that is limbo, or is it, like, something you can just will yourself into? Like, can you go from level one sleep to limbo? 
I guess the, the two explanations, kind of what you were saying about how, how level four is just limbo. More, more, or I'd say it's more like, because think of limbo less as a layer and more like the bottomless pit at mm-hmm. the at the bottom, right? And they, they said before that going to a, a third layer is too dangerous, right? And no one should do that. Uh, but like they sort of say, oh, it can be done. We just, you know, we can go deep enough, whatever. Um, maybe maybe you just can't go to a fourth layer. Maybe after layer three, you are just going to limbo because that's all that's left. Um, or alternatively, to go along with the idea that like Cobb's subconscious is what limbo is kind of because that's what he's populated with. Maybe that's mm-hmm. why they can go there for, through Cobb because it's Cobb's, you know, going to sleep. It's his dream, quote unquote, when they go to limbo. So maybe that's why they can go there is because it's his subconscious that it's based on. But I'm I'm stretching a little bit. Try to explain it. I'll, I'll admit. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, I, I was trying to keep track of all the 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 layers of dreams and stuff, but it, it really doesn't doesn't bother me too much when I'm actually watching it. I yeah. mean, more so for this discussion, trying to figure it out. But because um, one of the things I was not think- everybody does that when they watch a film. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the things I was thinking about actually uh, when the first big sort of fight happens, we're having the car chases in the city. As I was mm-hmm. thinking, you know, as a dream, and we've already seen like uh, Ellen Page like change physics and stuff like that. So like, is there uh, like is it almost weird how normal everything is? And then I thought about it and went, yeah, for most people, because the whole idea that the dreams are based on what people expect to be true, right? So it does function. It populates like a normal world. It, it looks like a normal world. And mm-hmm. I was thinking, what if the person that was that they were getting into was like a sci-fi nerd? Like, would <laughs> it have a lot of weird things in it instead? Would there would be it aliens? Would look like the opening scene of uh, Lovecraft Country? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> would there be Cthulhu's? Would there be laser guns and stuff like? Because there it potentially could Tripods be. Tripods and. There's yeah, no reason why it couldn't be, but I, I like that it. You know, it makes it okay. This rich millionaire, billionaire kid. Yeah, sure. It's just a normal scene. Yeah. Head. <laughs> it would be like lessons on how to fly in layer one. Oh, <laughs> My dog's old. It'd be like. Layer one would just be like lessons on how to fly and everybody around you would be flying. And then lesson yeah. two would be forgetting to wear pants when you went to school. And then <laughs> lesson three would be falling into a bottomless pit. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's something they could do. Uh, and yeah. I suppose the other part that, although I think I just kind of explained it in a weird way, uh, because it's dreams and we can kind of just get away with this if we want to. But uh, so, so Cobb and Ellen Page, I keep saying Cobb instead of DiCaprio, but I'm saying the actor names for everyone else, basically. Uh, they go down to follow Killian Murphy after he's been shot. And they go down into Limbo where Mal's kind of holding him hostage and Cobb agrees to stay, you know, to Mal for the sake of being with her, but he's really staying because he says Sato's still down here because he died. Uh, Sato, because <laughs> he got shot in the first layer and we see him kind of slowly dying uh, throughout the layers. And he's like, I'm going to stay down here and get him. And partly it's selfish because he knows that he needs him to wake up so that he can get his pardon. Because <laughs> otherwise yeah. he's not going home. But I think at this point I like to believe that there's a bit of just genuine humanity as well. Whereas I don't want him to actually stay be, be trapped down here. Uh, if Yeah, but if everybody wakes up, wouldn't he wake up too? Who? So Cobb goes into back or stays in limbo in order to get Sado. Um, but if everybody just woke up from the first level dream when sato wake up also like if somebody wakes him up from outside then would he just wake up and be out of limbo uh no they established that they can't wake them up from the sedative yeah but if everybody else is awake 
Like yeah. in the, the very first scene that we get where they're explaining how the dreams work. I mean, Joe Golev wakes up and then wakes up DiCaprio, who is under, by throwing him into a bathtub. And then he wakes up. So if everybody wakes up from the dream, then wouldn't, then wouldn't Sato also wake up? Because he wouldn't actually be dead. No, because the, the, the whole logic of the layers is that they have to have the kick happen in every layer at the same time. Because they can't just be woken up on the like the real world and wake you know go back up from the third layer. They have to have the kick in each layer. That's like the whole premise of like syncing up with the music, right? So, mm -hmm. um, so no, it doesn't it doesn't uh, given the rules they've given us. But what would ha so what would happen to Sato if if uh, they all wake up from from the dream? Um. I mean, I imagine since he's in limbo, he just won't wake up. It's like he'll be like he's in a coma or something like that, I guess. Hmm. Okay. It's certainly how they treat it. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I like that, and I like how it links up back to the start and how it's just about them remembering their where they are and that they're not in the real world. I, I like that. That be, but the, the the little kink as well, sort of on the way back though, is that Ellen Page jumps off the building, but she throws off uh, Kelly and Murphy first. And Kelly Murphy wakes back up in the snow uh, mm -hmm. area. The kick wakes him up. But he did get shot in that world. Uh, so I, I guess, I mean, obviously it makes sense that death doesn't stick necessarily because they're in a dream. It, you know, it isn't like, essentially this is jolting them back into this layer because they can go in to see his dead dad and, uh, or did I say dying dad, I should say, uh, and get find the, the little toy flower thing that he made. Uh, <laughs> the little wheel, what do we call mm -hmm. it? I don't know. Anyway. A pinwheel. Pinwheel, thank you. Uh, so he finds that and that kind of like does the thing. And that's when, you know, Ames blows the, the fortress, uh, which puts them all back into the elevator and in, in the, the, the hotel world, which then puts mm -hmm. them all back into the van. And notably, they don't all just wake up in the real world right away. They actually get out of the van and stuff and they're kind of, you know, talking in that world for a little bit. It's not like they're actually still in that first layer still for, you know, we, we don't see the real world again until Cobb eventually comes out into it. Uh, we, mm -hmm. we see them getting out of the water uh, in, the, in the van. Maybe we see them with the, you know, the oxygen tank and kind of whatever. Um, so it's interesting. Um, so, yep. yeah. No, I mean, it mostly works. There, there is just, uh, there's just that one little kink for me is how they can just go to limbo by choice using the machine. It's the only... Mm -hmm part of the whole system that doesn't quite immediately work for me but that's about it okay i was still thinking about like the last scene with the with the totem and with the Mal's totem mm. yeah a little bit like you know because because they say early on don't let anybody else touch your totem yes. like this is something that's only yours and Otherwise, it could be contaminated. Mm -hmm. So Leo's using his... Her, he's using somebody else's contaminated totem in order to check if he's always in a dream. Why else would he... Why would he use it then if he knows it's not really his totem? Well, because the person who used it is dead. If, if anything that adds to how he tricked her in the first place is that he contaminated her totem. Because yeah. it, you know that, that adds to why she was suspicious in the real world because now her totem didn't work because her husband could recreate it if it was his dream yeah okay but then why would he continue to use that as a totem to check if he's in a dream 
Uh, I don't know. For the same reason why anyone uses a memento of someone. Uh, <laughs> I guess it means a lot to him. It reminds him of his guilt. Uh, maybe he didn't have one before then. Maybe that that experience is what taught him to need one. Perhaps. Okay. Okay. Uh, um. Maybe it doesn't matter. Well, that's an inter that's an interesting question, but I think it's more of a character choice that's based on emotion than it is anything else. Yeah, because I mean, he just has moments where he panics and he has to use the uh, mouse totem in order to make sure that he's not in somebody else's dream. But yeah, I, I get I get from all those moments though that he's probably felt this way since what happened to his wife. I imagine mm -hmm. he never had this like existential crisis every time he used the tech. Because it sounded like he, you know, he used it, he was a bit younger, they were a young married couple, and this was an exciting new technology they were messing around with. I feel like he was probably really gun-ho and probably playing with it a bit too much. That that's kind of tells me that the experience with his wife and what happened to them, and the fact that they spent essentially 50 years together, that he seems to remember, which is kind of weird in someone's psyche when you think about it, that they kind of, in a fake way, but did experience like a whole lifetime of living uh, in a fake world. There's a Star Trek episode about that. Oh, it's very exciting. Of course there is. Uh, <laughs> it's but, the inner light. But I think that's a, that's a super interesting sort of touch to it. Is like, yeah, that's probably why he's so terrified of not being in the real world anymore. Why he's because, uh, sure, he's made everyone else have a totem. You know, we see that uh, you know Arthur's got a loaded die, and then Ellen Page makes a, like a chess piece with a specific kind of notching mm -hmm. in the bottom. Um, like, so clearly this is something that's. But, been learned over time that they have to kind of have some sort of anchor um but i mean does everyone who's at that weird sleeping camp to go and dream are they all having totems i don't know maybe that's something that's not as well the totem doesn't tell you if you're in a dream it doesn't it just tell you if you're in somebody else's dream yeah it tells you if someone else is recreating things you could be in your own dream potentially yeah. still and then of course your totem wouldn't work in your own dream because you would you would know your die is weighted even in your own dream so it wouldn't matter. It would only work if you were in someone else's dream. Yeah, but I, I guess there's less of a risk of being in your own dream. Like, in the sense that it only matters, especially for them, because they can't dream unless they use the machine now. Mm -hmm. But, like, if you're in your own dream, what's the risk of, really? Uh, whereas if someone else's dream is you're in, then you're at risk because they maybe they'll try to do something or steal something from you, or they'll try to trap you, potentially. Like, there's a lot of reasons why there's problems with that, I guess. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I'm fascinated by all these possibilities, and you're <laughs> kind of like, oh, uh, is, I guess this is. I guess this is <laughs> it's pretty late. <laughs> My voice is starting to go. No, I mean it's not like I'm sorry. I'm not like. I don't know. I, I knew you were gonna come in like all super fan <laughs> on this, and I'm just trying to be the balance. <laughs> sure, I know. I... <laughs> And it, it's not that I it's not that I don't respect the, the film for what it's trying to go for. I think that you have analyzed this movie a lot and I I haven't. So I'm just I'm still thinking about the questions and you've got years of answers. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it works, though, even on a first viewing without having analyzed much of it. And I, I, it's one that I do think is better with each passing viewing mm -hmm. it's 
it has all the action of a summer blockbuster. It has the sort of a bit more nuance in its storytelling than I mean that was just true Christopher Nolan movies in general. I mean maybe not every single one, but for the most part, you t- <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> but you, you... I mean I would agree that for Dunkirk. <laughs> of course, of course, it's always Dunkirk. And Dunkirk's Nolan's best film. Yeah. All the nerds <laughs> are wrong. Uh, but no, he he tends to have some a bit more, at least more of a conceptual, thought-provoking idea, generally at the core of his movies. That's kind of the, the, you know, what his concepts kind of rely on. Obviously, it's a bit different when he's just doing a Batman movie. But even like, one of the best conversations me and Connor ever had on this channel was a Dark Knight discussion. I highly recommend people go check that out. Um, uh, I listened to it. Yeah, everyone should check it out. It sounded like you were considering disagreeing there. <laughs> I don't know about best conversations, but yeah, it, it was a very good discussion, and I highly recommend that people check it out. Well, I said that we've had, not not, not in general. <laughs> it was a lot of Nolan praise. <laughs> okay, maybe I'll, a touch of a bias here uh, <laughs> from this other podcast listener of that show. <laughs> I I just. There's stuff to you know. It's funny, like I know, I know you're not as hot in this one, but this this reminds me a lot of when we were talking about Terminator Two, and we were talking about a lot of the things that are in there. Once you start thinking about, like what the the plot is doing, the choices that Cameron made with certain characters wearing certain outfits, or you know what the the mm-hmm. the makeup of certain character interactions and what that adds to the themes and maybe some political commentary that's in there. That's kind of and this I feel. Maybe less so with the political commentary, although maybe someone's got a great take on this and maybe you can sit and tell me why it says something about something. But at least for me, this is more of a, a psychological uh, story of self-forgiveness. And then the action movie heist plot is like the, the wraparound for it that makes it exciting and fun and gives it this like, you know, all, all the little things like, uh, you know, like how do they combat these like militant defenses inside the mind and or they actually, we barely even mentioned the the fact that when the van flips in layer one and layer two, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's having a fight scene in a hallway that's spinning because mm-hmm. the entirety of level two's gravity is just spinning because of the mm-hmm. van spinning. And that's a really fun mechanic. It's really, you feel like, you know, the, the Nolan brothers or whoever, I don't know if, it's actually just Christopher that's credit for this one. Jonathan was involved in some of his early films, but not this one. At least not as a, on a writing capacity. Uh, like you, get, you can't get the feeling that he was sitting down with someone and just ideas were just like and what if this and what if this and what if this and what if this and i feel it like does, yeah. creativity and passion as i watch it and there's other movies so many movies in fact that i watch where it feels like you had half of a bit an idea and you tried to like stretch it out to 90 minutes or two hours and this movie has too many it's just like so, filled to the brim with the ideas yeah but ultimately when it, it hits that final beat and the, the spinning top is spinning I think most people find themselves caring about whether or not it falls. And they're, you know, maybe upset that they don't get to see it, but the fact that they're upset that they don't get to see it means that the movie's worked. On some level, the movie's gotten to them, and they care about the outcome, and they care about whether or not this is real or not. And and, and again, that's what it goes back to Mal, the, the fake Mal in his mind, the, you know, the psychosis Mal. She's trying to tempt him into just going with the fake version. She's trying to tempt him to stay there with him, and of course, there's a lot to say about the fact that this is his own creation of her and not just some entity trying to do it. It's actually himself, really. But he's ultimately, 
it's about the choice of resisting that and coming out on top and getting the the real life because it means more because it, it so yep pretty good <laughs> i don't have anything else to add i know i know i'm i'm, I'm trying to give my final kind of more sweeping points about the the tapestry that's been weaved mm-hmm. <laughs> well done i'm <laughs> I'm trying so hard for you to not be the villain in this, but you're really making it difficult. Villain? <laughs> you heard me. The villain. Good cop, bad cop in this review. Oh, no. Never. <laughs> well, actually, good cop. Cop who is mildly interested, but he'd rather be over at the donut table. How dare you call me fat on this show? That is not what I said. I was using a <laughs> trope How about cops. You? That is... We you gonna oink at me next? We we both enjoy donuts. You know this. We've both spoken about our love of donuts. I I will I I I will not have this flipped around on me because of I one just, innocent. Okay, silly joke. I don't have I just don't have the passion for this film that a lot of people do, and I don't know what the what the separation is between me and everyone else. Where I just don't like like I think it's a very clever, very very well made film. And it's really fun to watch, but I don't like, I don't bow at the altar of Christopher Nolan. Like, I think he's fine. I think he has a lot of the same things that he uses in all his movies that are, I don't know. I just kind of get bored of, but okay, no, I'm I... not saying this movie is boring or bad at all. I think it's one of his best, um, but it's, I, I don't, I don't know. There, there's something that's missing between <laughs> me and the movie that I don't. I, don't, I just don't I don't praise it as much and and you're right like those things that are there for you they're there they're definitely there you know and I'm really glad that people love it and that you clearly love it I just don't have I just don't get that when I watch it and it's okay that's okay there's absolutely nothing wrong with you just not connecting to this as much as several several other people obviously so there's only a few <laughs> you know what I mean I know I'm being painted as the bad cop during mm-hmm. this review and and maybe that is because I knew you were coming in, like, obviously it's going to be a 10 for you. <laughs> but I still, I don't know, There, it's not it's not coming from nothing, you know? Like, I do mm. watch the movie and go, that was that was a fun science fiction film, but I don't think it's a masterpiece. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, you have to rate it then, I suppose. It's an 8. <laughs> Thank you perfectly fine i wasn't sure how this conversation was going to go and i'm and i'm honestly not sure how it went now that we've gotten to the end i feel like my usual go through the movie kind of like i had to circumvent that in a lot of ways and partly because just the way the movie structured it made more sense to kind of take tackle as sort of the, the sort of different the two main themes yeah, yeah. um but Partly also because I feel like it would have taken a while to go through it, kind of as scene by scene. Or, I mean, mm-hmm. it always goes scene by scene, per se. When but... you have a 10 film that you're reviewing, you tend to take a long time to go through because you know the movie so well. So yeah. each scene, like, frame by frame gets broken down. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, there's lots of stunning visuals and there's lots of things I love about the cinematography. Um, it was a shame. Yeah, Molly... the hallway scene is very special. It's very good. Yeah. And it's a shame Molly Fister tried to go be a director on his own and failed miserably. <laughs> Is that the cinematographer? Yeah. He, he did all of Nolan's films up until 
was Interstellar the last one? No, maybe it was Dark Knight Rises. I can't remember, but uh, he went and he went and did Transcendence starring Johnny Depp. Oh, is that the one where he becomes like the computer? Or yeah, something? yeah. I think it was called mm. Transcendence. It was something like that. That's a sci-fi movie. We'll have to do it. Yeah, it's a sci-fi movie, but it wasn't very good. I saw that in theaters, and I'll take your word for it. Uh, didn't do much for me. Uh, I have to say. Uh, so no, to sum up, I, I think I think the heart is there. I think the more you think about what it's doing in terms of everything that's infecting the world because of his character and because of his guilt and his regret and what the movie's really about is him forgiving himself for for what he'd done i think it works very well and you've got the action you've got the haste you've got all the, the fun mm-hmm. rules and everything else and the cast and the the, the wonderful music uh, everything kind of comes together um so yes it is a 10 for me but uh sometimes a movie just speaks to you so much based on what it is and um, I, I I do love rules, and maybe this idea, maybe this movie, just being so right, we're going to give you a textbook of rules, and we're going to follow them to the T. <laughs> maybe that's part of the well. <laughs> maybe that does appeal to me. I, I don't know. Except he breaks the rules all the time, right? Cobb breaks some of the rules he says that they have to follow, mm-hmm. but they clearly don't have to follow. That's him being overcautious because he's made mistakes and he feels guilty about it. Mm. And he's a hypocrite. That's fine. That, that's a character beat. <laughs> Characters can be hypocrites. Uh, all right. Uh, if you made it this far on the review, give us the word. I don't know. Can they spell "bwow"? <laughs> yeah, give us a "bwow" in the comments. <laughs> all right. So let us know you got to the end. Um, Look, I'm still here. You check your tome. Okay, I'll check yeah. mine. All right. So, um, here we go. And oh as, my god! As expected, uh, it's still Boris Karloff, Frankenstein. Uh, so Karloff. Wait a minute. <laughs> Didn't I start with Dracula? Oops. Oh well. Uh, still in the dream world. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna make Tara pose for the thumbnail. Uh, so if you can just make sure the top of your head's not cut off. We can see two one. Pause. Here we go. Three, two, one. Pause. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> yes. Okay. It's really great in the thumbnail with uh, both of us looking asleep. Uh, everyone's gonna. <laughs> you can add some drool effects. <laughs> you could have just been a tripper and drilled. <laughs> it wouldn't have showed. Not through Skype. So I was always maybe better. put like a sleeping mask on me. <laughs> It's always better with practical okay. effects, you know that. That's true. <laughs> CGI some some drill. Um, <laughs> all right, <laughs> all right. So obviously, please do like like is super important in the, the YouTube. Uh, it lets people, uh, it lets YouTube know that we're worth recommending out, and more people find us as a result. So please, please do that. Uh, you can of course support us uh, financially at patreoncom TV, as we mentioned earlier. Um, Tara, would you like to uh, t- uh, support or support uh, promote something else that we do? all episode guys yeah super late um sure if you enjoy us reviewing science fiction stuff together you should check out our twilight zone reviews we're reviewing both the classic and the new the new ones are probably all up at this point um but yeah check out our thoughts on those we're in season m almost the end of season two of the original Mm -hmm. classic show so 
we're in it for the long haul. Thank yep. you. Yep. Uh, I'm going to go check that out. Uh, otherwise, that's basically us. Uh, some stuff that's coming up soon you may be interested in. Uh, October is going to be a sort of mini 70s month, so we're going to do all of our episodes in October will be 70s movies. And then uh, December, we're going to have movies set in 2020 before it's too late um, to do that for uh, you know the obvious reason that it's 2020. So look forward to that. Um, and we will have a countdown at the... St- I say end of the year. It's probably going to be the start of January, more lately. Uh, but it's more of a New Year's thing. But we're mm-hmm. going to do a big uh, top top list. Uh, of, Are we going to of- do top of 2020? No, <laughs> we're going to... It'll be Bloodshot? <laughs> oh, God. Don't... Was that it? <laughs> no, Vast Night would be higher. Come on. Um, yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> Why was that hesitation? <laughs> you know me, I'm a big Vin Diesel fan. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. All right. Uh, that has been the Atomic Cinema Experiment. Thank you very much for watching or listening. And please do give us your uh, interpretations of the ending of Inception in the comments. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it reality? Is it a dream? Um, and if you pick a dream, then why do you believe this false uh, prophet? <laughs> but that is us. Thank you once again for watching and listening. We always appreciate it. Keep watching Science Fiction Guys in Computer at Celsius. Wow.